welcome to Comic Book Decalogue. My name is Greg Hunter, and I'm recording from Comics Journal Satellite Lab in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is, at once, an interview podcast and the proving ground for the perfect comics interview. We ask a different cartoonist the same ten questions with each installment and with our eyes on the prize. Lane Milburn is our guest this time around. Lane's the cartoonist behind the graphic novella Death Trap and the space fantasy Twelve Gems. You may also have seen his work on the Vice site and on Saturday, June 11th and Sunday, June 12th. You can also find him at Cake, the Chicago Alternative Comics Expo, where he'll have a new zine, Broken Panels, available. Before we continue, if you like this podcast and you're listening to it on tcj.com, well, you can download it in iTunes also. Just go to the iTunes feed of our sister podcast, TCJ Talkies, where you can find it among other interviews conducted by Mr. Talkies, Mike Dawson. Twelve Gems from 2014 was my first real encounter with Lynn Milburn's work. In fact, I reviewed it for the Comics Journal. I gave it what you call a net positive review at the time, and I'll tell you what. Some books recede in your mind, and some books grow, and Twelve Gems is a grower. It is goofy and sometimes genuinely strange, alternately grotesque and pretty. You can even get it at Cake, I imagine, if you're going to be at Cake. We recorded this interview not in Minnesota, but in Lexington, Kentucky. Lane is both an artist and a Southern gentleman, and as evidence of that, he asked me to mention the members of the Closed Captions comics crew who might not be identified by name in the interview itself. That includes Aaron Womack, Eric Steiner, Zach Hazard-Valpin, and maybe Pete Rasm. They are, in Lane's words, dear friends and cherished contributors. So, there you go. And here now is 10 Questions with Lane Milburn. Okay, well, you know the format. I won't do too much of a preamble. So, question number one What's the last comic you finished reading? Um, I think it was uh, the newest issue of Matthew Thurber's art comic series, or I, uh, the third one. I, I, might, I think I bought the second one first and then got the others, and I just read the third one. And I've really been loving that series. Um, I think I. You know, I'm always I'm, I'm I'm floored by his comedy writing and by his insights about so many aspects of the contemporary world. I think he's he's really like to me one of the most fascinating artists on the scene. He's has this really interesting way of um, using cartooning to like he he'll create sort of like an a, a, an exploded view of social media or of the the art education or and art institutions using kind of like a surrealist humorous mode to kind of illustrate like the, the you know the foibles in 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 kind of like the s- systems that we live in um and i just can't get enough you know of his of, of his work i think he's gr- hilarious and great mm-hmm. in your own work how deliberate are you about humor beats are, are they usually natural outgrowths of the situation or are you are you more intentional about saying this would benefit from some comedy i think it's probably i i hope it's like the less the less intentional stance and i and i think that for me probably the the, the better and you know i don't i don't want to generalize for everyone but i think for me like probably the the funnier moments come just uh from 
the unraveling of, of the story and the situation. Like, this is just, this is how I see it. I mean, someone else may have a different take, but I, th- I think the less intent when, when, when humor, when, it, when a humorous note is on kind of an offbeat or an unexpected beat, like it's, it can be a little more effective than something r- written in a, uh, more planned in advance. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think I enjoy work where the humor feels like it flows from, uh, the scenario that the story and that has been set up rather than, um, you know, joke writing or something like that. Question number two, what cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? I, um, I'm going to go with Kim Deitch. I think he, uh, and I, I'm not as, I'm not as well read on him as I should be. I have read, I've read Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I think it's called. And, um, one of the more recent collections, uh, the search for smile and Ed and, uh, and then a few, a few loose issues. And, um, yeah, I just think he's one of the really, um, wonderful, um, explorers of fabricators of, of kind of like an, an inner vision that has been, that has been percolating in, in, in him his whole life, you know, mm-hmm. with, with, uh, his family, he's, animation background and he's he's a wonderful storyteller very funny writer his his work is so magical and so surprising and so interesting and i don't hear him uh talked about very much i guess uh but i like i said i i i'm not i'm not as i may have also read um one other but but yeah i mean i i need Mm -hmm. to i need to read everything he's done i need to get caught i need to get caught up i think when i was uh Getting my awareness of alternative cartooning, you know, as a teenager, I think I sometimes mistook Deitch's work for Jim Woodring's work, uh, for maybe for Kaz's work, seeing them all in anthologies. And it's totally surface level, I think, the resemblances, but it maybe also speaks to something you see in the work of an artist like Deitch, where it really, like you say, it's this fully formed world that you're getting a peek of Mm -hmm. that. Oh yeah. feels so personal and specific. Right. Yeah. I think that, I think, I think that's an, that's a very interesting comparison. And I, I, yeah, I mean, there is, I don't, he, I think, I think Deitch's work has kind of a, there, there's like a, a, maybe a more underground immediacy to his, to his, to, to his drawing that, whereas, whereas Woodring has, crafted you know his 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 brush and ink work to like um a truly um stunning degree of fluency and and virtuosity and maybe that's why um there's something on that surface level i i do hear hear many more people talk about woodring than deitch and maybe there's something on the surface level that is that is difficult for people but i find you know i find them equally fascinating as 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 uh, as great you know great artists and question number three, what's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with? Um, this is a hard one. <laughs> People have been surprisingly <laughs> game so far. Okay. It's hard. It's, it's, um, hmm. I might have to aim high. I, <laughs> I, um, I, I think I, I remember wanting to, I went to school at, at Micah Maryland Institute College of Art, and they had a great library. They had the, all of the Sin City volumes, and I and I and I loved Dark Knight, and I really wanted to plow through all of those volumes. And I, I read the first one, and I think I was just kind of underwhelmed by the 
heavy handedness of the writing. And I just couldn't, as much as I love his, his his artwork Mm -hmm. of that, you know, even into the nineties, I just couldn't, uh, I I just couldn't finish it. But, and then, and then his stuff since I don't, I don't, I don't probably. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's, uh, a dicey proposition for a number of reasons. Sure. 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 Yeah. So have there been any Frank Miller works, uh, aside from that, that you were able to sort of meet on their level or, I mean, I love dark Knight. Um, I, I, I like his, um, and I, I, I have kind of a soft spot for Ronan, you know, um, I, and, uh, daredevil. I, I, those, those I really enjoy. I think dark Knight was dark. Dark Knight was a wonderful, um, another book I got from the Micah library. Um, and it, it was a real, that was a real revelatory book for me because I did not grow up immersed in superhero comics. And I think like seeing how he, he and, uh, is it Klaus Jansen, and the inker, like how they're, mm-hmm. how they're, how dynamic and immediate their, 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 their artwork was. Um, the story was very engaging. It's been many years since I've read it, uh, last, but, um, that was, that was a very powerful formative, uh, uh, book for me when I was kind of immersing myself, um, in comics during my college years. That was a, that was that, you know, so I don't, I don't take, I don't, um, I don't, I don't discount, I don't discount Miller, you know, for, you know, and I think that eighties stuff is, is pretty holds up. I don't, yeah, it's, it's been, a, it's been a while, but I love, yeah, I love dark Knight. So It's been interesting to see the way his legacy is evolving and mutating even in his own lifetime. Right. I, I have not read the most recent, uh, dark Knight series as we're recording now, I think they've released one or two issues, but I've just seen online, for instance, uh, the 50 or a hundred alternate covers DC's releasing for the project. And yeah. through those, I think it's really interesting. You can see just how codified and how identifiable his style is right. through seeing all of these other artists, this whole throng of, of artists doing their Frank Miller right. and, and how much Miller sort of, that's interesting. I was, I was not aware of that at recent, uh, recent project but yeah that is interesting i mean his style it, it visually visually electrifying and fascinating i'm not surprised that you know and 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 his influence is uh palpable in you know all this all the uh su- succeeding generations i think yeah now before we go further i should ask uh if superhero comics weren't your entry point into comics and graphic novels what was the thing that really got you on the hook as a young person, right? Um, well, I would have to amend that a little bit. I, 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 I did, I did have a, a sort of a spawn fa- spawn phase when I was around ten, and I, I loved. I kind of had patches of of, of interest in comics as a child. I was, you know, just a really. Uh, I was, I was into so many different things. I, I, I had, you know, I had like a few. Of, of, of like the, um, Jim Lee X-Men and, and like, uh, you know, some Spider-Man books and, but, but it was not like, it was just kind of part of my, you know, um, uh, just like spoiled childhood <laughs> exploration of all these different things. And, uh, you know, I, I probably was more into, uh, into those characters on, on a level of, um, 
you know, the, the, the cartoons and action figures and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and I had kind of like a patchy interest in reading altogether as a child. I was, you know, I would read in fits and then, but then it wasn't until college that I became truly, um, obsessed with reading of all kinds, with reading comics, reading literature. And, and that's when I was exposed to, um, just a huge slab of thing of, 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 of the, of the comics world all at once. I mean, Chris Ware and and Klaus and Crumb and and then Paper Rodeo like I kind of, that all kind of like went into the compactor all at once mm-hmm. and that was you know that was that was the the time it was college and my friends in in closed caption comics um, um, Connor Stecksholte Noel Freibert Ryan Cecil Smith Molly Colleen O'Connell a bunch of you know um, Molly Goldstrom a bunch of others you know these people were, were were doing comics and exposing me to comics and that was that was that was the that was the, the, the formative beginning for me, actually. It was a bit later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Keeping one foot in the past, question four is, you can send one comic back in time to yourself at 14. What is that comic? There, there are so many. Um, and, but um, I, maybe weirdo era Crumb, actually, because, mm-hmm. I mean, Crumb was, was one of the first... Crumb, again, is an artist I was exposed to from the via the the um mica comics uh the mica library i think they had some of the collections and the, and the sketchbooks and just it was so electrifying seeing how he would turn you know uh, observations sketches from a person from 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 people uh walking around town and, and then kind of like and then spin stories from those kind of idle observations and thoughts and 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 to show how you can create a story from from a, from a, from just a little bit of observational information combined with like some imaginative stuff and um crumb is just truly one of the electrifying uh influences of my of my life um i think but yeah i was exposed to him when i was probably 19 so but i think as an early teen it would have been a big deal because i was i was studying to be a painter and i think that his artwork spoke to to my fine arts sensibility uh and and was something that i that i grabbed onto more quickly than i than i did um you know love and rockets and jaime hernandez mm-hmm. who i came to a little bit later like after college i adore that i adore those those things but i think the kind of gritty uh, cross-hatched, fine-art-informed drawing was something that drew me into Crumb, combined with just the kind of ceaseless kind of inner voice at work on the page that was, you know, the, the, the sketchbooks and the comics taken as a whole. I mean, it was just it was just overwhelming to me. That's really interesting. I didn't see Crumb uh, when I first read 12 Gems, but thinking about all the hatching in that book now, yeah, that influence is totally borne out. Right, it's it's infectious. I don't know uh, to to see to see his his work on the page. I mean, yeah, I think he's phenomenal. Question number five: What's a change you'd like to see across the comics industry? If we're if you're talking about the industry, I would say that like I'm I, I am I, I I have so little attachment to the to the superhero franchises, and yet they. They're, they're dominating Hollywood, and I think that they—they're they, still the books still have 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 a lot of circulation, and I think the books are mainly circulating and functioning as merch tie-ins to the movies at this point. Mm-hmm. And I just I'm 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 only kind of 
dimly aware of the year by year kind of business machinations of DC and Marvel. Like, I, you know, apparently, you know, recently DC was going to start everything from zero, and I mm-hmm. and, and and I just am so annoyed by the by by this ongoing ceaseless. Never-ending recycling, regurgitating, reanimation, re uh, reviving of these characters that I I don't I just don't see a lot of cultural substance in that in that work now. Or I think I think in previous decades there's plenty to learn from from drawing and layouts and that and 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 the technique of that work. But I would just like to, to see probably a lot of those franchises go away but, but something like more something that that is more relevant to the realm of comics that that I spend my time in that we spend our time in the of the whatever we're calling it the alternative underground independent whatever comics field I think that it would be cool if people and I think it would be instructive to and helpful to artists if, to um, think about the hybrid nature of the comics medium and to not think of of comics as a, a tradition unto itself and as an isolated, as a, as, as comics being only informed by other comics. I would love to see more people taking cues from film and literature, read more things that are not comics, take to, try to explore the, the hybrid nature of comics and take cues from fine art. I think there are many artists doing this, um, but I think that um, as, a, as, as a general kind of practice across the board, that might be something that, pe- that people could try is to, yeah, read, read literature and nonfiction and look at fine art and don't be um, daunted by any, anything. And it, it's all available to you. You can use all of this stuff. You can incorporate all of this stuff. And I think it, and comics can only be a larger medium and, and field and whatever for the inclusion of those, those mm-hmm. ideas. Yeah. Certainly there is no one in comics saying, don't watch movies, don't read literature, but there are, I imagine some comics purists who are more interested in, you know, the grammar of comics as a specific form and probably less, less actively seeking to draw from other uh, media. So I'm wondering how often this is something you talk about with your contemporaries and if you know, people tend to see eye to eye with that, that very Catholic attitude, yeah. lower, lower case C Catholic. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I think you're right to say that no, no one is really encouraging an insular existence for comics, but I, I think that maybe, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I've, I've tried to involve myself more in the, in the process of writing. I mean, I think that comics is such a daunting and unwieldy medium that you, it's worthwhile to kind of, to, yeah, question the assumptions and, and, and yeah, uh, get more involved in writing and that sort of thing. It, it's, it's, it's an interesting medium because it is so, it, it is so time consuming that I think sometimes, um, and I've suffered from this myself, um, the need to kind of artifice and to finish a page and to, and to move the story forward visually can, and, and, and so on can kind of dampen the, the self-critical voice. And, and so that you become, you're, you're kind of adrift on this like lazy river of creativity where you're being productive, but you're not, I've scrapped a lot of projects recently. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, and I, yeah, it's just a question of honing that self-critical voice. And I think maybe making, making a concerted effort to, to take in influences from other media can help, can help people find that. Now I'm going to upend the format for a second. We're on question six. Question eight is what's the worst decision 
you've made as a cartoonist, which I was going to scrap in this case anyway uh, and ask you instead about your decision surrounding Envoy. But I think now is the time, based on the process of looking critically at your own work that you've touched on. So Envoy, this comic you were serializing for Vice recently, you decided Mm -hmm. to end midway through and revisit from page one, essentially. Yeah. This was a very difficult decision for me to come to. My my partner, Anya Davidson, the great cartoonist, I mean, she gave me some great advice when she said that I should start scripting in advance. And, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing here. I, is there, is there a bad decision? I think that it, I regret that I had embarked on like such a, such a big kind of space opera project with so many moving parts without having prepared myself in advance, but it, you know, it's, it's such a blundering, I think being an artist of any kind is such a blundering uh, sometimes painful process of growth where you learn, you have to learn everything the hardest possible way, <laughs> you know, and you often do not, even if someone tells you something, you may not understand the import of what they were trying mm-hmm. to say. And you have to learn it that you have to learn it by wasting a lot of time and effort. And um, so I guess I do regret embarking upon that project without more preparations in advance and I think 12 Gems is a project that was meant to be made up as I went along and that a lot of the humor and so on a lot of a lot of what makes that work that book what it is comes from the fact that I was clearly making it up as as I went along and but I think Envoy wants a different kind of uh, story wants a deeper exploration of its characters and relationships and I want to I want to just do more specific world building and 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 have more things nailed down before I set out on on page one. Mm-hmm. I mean the temptation to get to the, the, I mean my love of drawing I think can is it can be kind of an enemy in the sense that it 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 gets ahead of my rationalizations and thinking about the story. And I think sometimes letting the drawing getting ahead of get ahead of those other those more rational faculties can be really good. But I think with this kind of a story. I want a more uh, developed sort of political scenario and more developed relationships and uh, and things to be a little more set up in advance. But I'm not. I'm, I'm happy with this decision, and I'm excited to continue working on the book in this new way with doing some scripting and and, and everything. This focus on storytelling and and on scripting specifically is really interesting knowing that you came from a painting background. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, one generalization a person could arguably make about, about the worst of alternative cartooning is sometimes people who arrive at comics through a fine arts background and are content to basically put discrete images on a a mini comic, say, and then call it a narrative. And, you know, there's interesting things that go on there sometimes, you know, the work a reader does in, in making a narrative out of those images. But I think, yeah. And I think at its worst, it feels, at its worst, sometimes you find work that feels like a screensaver on paper or something like that, you know, that's, you just kind of flip through it. And I, I think comics is a very peculiar, occupies a very pe- peculiar space because it doesn't have what a painting hanging on a, a wall has. It doesn't have, I mean, it, 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 it's narrative, it, but it doesn't quite have, I don't think the, um, spectacle of a movie i don't think it nor does it necessarily have the internality that that literature has it doesn't have, really have that built into it and i and it's 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 not to to the detriment of the form i just it, it is a very like pliable form and i think it works best 
as a st- I've you know come to decide over after years of to- like toiling at it that it, you know I think it works best as a storytelling narrative form and and I think of great writing and scripting are central to narrative and storytelling I've learned that from movies and TV shows and books and I you know so that that's just kind of my my take on the form it occupies a very peculiar kind of fluid middle ground and I think I'm trying to find my 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 way in it just as just as everyone is yeah question number six we'll see how relevant it is to your time as a cartoonist because you came to the form relatively late uh it's what's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning it's interesting you know i um began i think since i graduated and and since i was really involving myself in um, self-publishing and 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 building bigger stories and, and more involved works, I, I think that I have not come close to actually thinking I want to give this up mm-hmm. and 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 pick up something else. I would say that my process of initiation into doing comics did involve a lot of doubt, and, um, because I was still I was still painting. I was doing a kind of traditional portraits and figurative stuff and um i would do comics on the side as this kind of like purging exercise they were very like juvenile and 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 lewd the 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 kind of early stuff i was doing with the closed caption comics crew i think i had some some doubts and about whole form and what those doubts consist in i'm maybe maybe it's hard for me to be entirely specific but I um, did have a lot of back and forth throughout college and maybe for a couple of years after where I was still painting or painting kind of had primacy for me and that I, w- I would do a comic for an anthology, go to a, a self-published anthology with, with closed caption. We would go to SPX, but I would still maybe not identify as a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a slow back and forth process between painting and cartooning and then uh, cartooning finally won over just after years of of back and forth and work at being in the studio and yeah. And question number seven, in addition to Anya's advice about scripting, what's the best advice you've heard about making comics? I was, I was going to use the one about scripting, <laughs> but no, nope. no. Nope. All right. I we need um, content on this part. Yeah. Well, I, I read a, uh, something a list of of artists uh, of of a list of artists no a list of tips for artists by uh Michael DeForge who's a buddy of mine whose work I love uh, where he's one of he, he I think he had a list of 10 tips for cartoons I think Johnny Ryan and maybe a few other artists have done this on uh on on a website I forget which one but but uh <laughs> This is kind of funny. I mean, he said he, one of his tips was don't overdraw. And I think I've like so badly broken that, uh, that one for so many years, uh, that I feel kind of silly saying it, but I think that like comics is uh, a, a realm where I think, um, people should let their obsessions fly and indulge in those obsessions and really don't, th- and really do things their own way without thinking, without, without, without rules, without parameters, without instruction. But like that, that's something <laughs> I'm learning belatedly is to keep the drawing at a, um, and, and I, but I, I think I've kind of come at, come to that through working too, but it, but reading it as a point of advice, I think also, is helpful. Yeah. I mean, try it. it yeah. Again, the, the form is so unwieldy that you, you, you might want to try to remove unnecessary habits 
obsessive cross-hatching, whatever, in order to tell the stories more efficiently. And question number nine, what work from another medium has influenced you the most? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, th there are so many books and, and, and things, but um, I, I, I'm going to say David Lynch because I, I think he's inescapable for me and for many people. And which work of his, um, I don't know, it could, be, it could be any of them, Blue Velvet or Twin Peaks or Eraserhead or Mahan Drive. And then um, I just read this brand new book called David Lynch, The Man from Another Place, which is a really, really great critical overview of his work. And it talks about his evolving themes in a way that seemed relevant to me personally in a way that they never had before. And I think he employs cliches. He employs the existing strategies of 50s kind of hometown uh, comedy and, 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 and horror movies and romance and mystery. He employs all of these pre-existing modes, but bends them so out of their familiar formation and creates something that is often very difficult to describe, that is very disorienting, that is, that is very new and full of contrast and contradiction. And for me, it, it's relevant because 12 Gems was, was just kind of, was kind of a massive disgorging of all of these of science fiction cliches and things I had absorbed over the years. And I think his work is, is kind of pastiche and, and his self-consciousness of these different modes and, and his fascinating ways of gluing them together and warping them and inverting them are just endlessly fascinating to me on a visceral level, irresistible level. While you're in the process of creating 12 Gems specifically, it is Lynchian in the sense that it's not an outright parody, but you were fully immersed in the tropes of science fiction. How often did you have to ask yourself, is this too close to outright parody? Did you think during the creation of the strip about whether uh, you had to avoid low blows at any point? Yeah. How conscious was that? I think there was, there was a consciousness there of trying to find that, trying to hold on to that thread of, of self-consciousness and, and humor. Yeah, I think I was conscious of it without maybe being able to articulate it, but yeah, there was a sense of trying to hold on to a thread of, uh, immersion and employing those things. And then, but then kind of, uh, uh, a self-conscious jumping out of from from that framework. There there were there were ideas and stupid puns and things uh, and 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 plot turns that I had to scrap because they were too on the nose in terms of parody and a deliberate kind of humor. I like stories more that where where you just kind of get the ball rolling and then and then you you kind of build up a momentum where humor can kind of spin off from that momentum rather than a lot of like puns and pre-written. Uh, stuff. I'm not sure. Uh, that's. I feel like that maybe is a little. I don't know if that if that answers your question. I would. There was definitely a self consciousness sure. there. Yeah. And our final question, question number ten. You've been assigned to write and illustrate Garfield, but you can alter one aspect of the strip. What do you change? I think. I would make it. I would make it so overloaded with text. I would make it the most inaccessible comic. I would. I would just fill it with text and like, like make it like a Jablonski or Charles Crumb comic to where the text is completely unreadable and like uh, it's. It has mass. It has. It's circulating in in millions of printed newspapers, but it's just. The artwork stays the same, but the text is unreadable and confounding and very, very small. That's my that's my idea. 
All right, that's great. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you, Greg.